A lot of people have said they really enjoyed the story. A lot of people are saying they love the book. Um, I uh, agree with you. I just love studying the story. In fact, this has been a phenomenal story. In fact, it's the only book that I've ever gone all the way through on every single word. In other words, we didn't even miss a passage. Made sure that every word was even, not word was talked about, but everything was, uh, was read because it's such a good story. But since it's such a good story, um, we'll ask the question, why is it such a good story? I mean, why is it so captivating? Why is it so rich? Many people have been saying, I've just been reading the story over and over during the week before I hear the next sermon just because it's so rich. Why are you so captivated by the story of Ruth? And uh, I think the reason why it's so captivating is because it's, it's so practical. And even beyond practical, it's, it's so legitimate to our everyday lives. You know, you look back in, in Genesis and Abraham talked to God face to face. And it's like face to face standing in front of God. The Holy of Holies speaking to him. Well, not a lot of people are talking to God face to face. You know, right now, that's not, that's not taking place. And then you go through the book of uh, Exodus and you see that uh, the people are being led out of Egypt. And there's all sorts of uh, miraculous powers that, are, that uh, God is doing these miracles in regards to uh, pulling down the plagues and as water is turning into blood. And uh, you see these miracles take place and then you see redemption happen as a result of these miracles and they get let out, let out of Egypt. But then it looks like you're gonna, they're going to go through destruction. So what does God do? You know, God opens up the Red Sea. And uh, we read those stories and we see the power of God. We see the glory of God. We see the beauty of God. We see a lot about God. But in my lifetime, I've never seen him part um, a Red Sea. In fact, as far as I know, it's only been done twice written in the word. So we think, okay, it's been done twice. You know, I'm in the 21st century. I mean, is God going to do it again? You know, um, uh, he carried that power then. What kind of power does he carry now? And then we go into the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is an oppressed book. 300 years of absolute um, misery. I mean, 300 years of, of, of God trying to bring a redeemer to the world and bringing redeemer in a, uh, the concept of a judge and this judge will come power and do something with great things, small armies conquering big ones. And we look at it and say, look at the power of God through that. But then the people would just go back into their sinful life and back into the mire. And it was one after another, after another, after another, after another. Then you give Samson. When you give the strongest guy in the world, something's going to happen. Something is going to take place. Redemption is going to happen when you have the strongest guy in the world. But then we read the story of Samson and and uh, redemption doesn't take place. But come on, he's the strongest guy in the world. But what about, you know, we in our world right now have the strongest guy in the world. I haven't seen them. So we read the story of Samson. Like, it just doesn't relate. It's just, it just, it's big. It's glorious. And I learn a lot about God, but it just doesn't captivate me like the story of Ruth. Then you go into the story of Ruth. I'll tell you, there's a turn inside the entire Bible after this story of Ruth because it is a story of redemption. But when it comes to the story of redemption, you don't see any miracles. You don't see any angelic visitations. You don't see audible voices take place. All you do is see life and a commitment from a daughter-in-law and, and uh, love from Boaz. You just see life take place. Something that's so practical. And we're reading this practical story, we go, well, I can relate to this. 
fact, we can relate to all the aspects of the book of Ruth. I mean, the first chapter, what takes place? They, there's a family, Ruth and, uh, uh, not Ruth, but uh, Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, they moved to Moab as a result of economic hardship. Now, when we read that verse, we just can so relate. Economic hardship, have you ever heard of economic hardship? Have you ever had to live through economic hardship? Everybody's like, yeah, I know what it feels like to live through economic hardship. So we're actually feeling it as they're moving to Moab. And then Elimelech dies, and after he dies, how many of us have lost loved ones? Just about everybody. You understand the pain, you understand the hurt, you understand the suffering that takes place. So we're just completely tracking, completely relating. And then we have um, Chilion and Malon marrying Moabite ladies, Ruth and Orpah. You know, as they marry Moabite ladies, you wonder what the future is going to look like. I mean... What is going to take place in the future? I'm out of our homeland, which is Israel, and now my sons have married Moabite ladies. You know, where are we going to end up? Are we going to end up in Moab? Are we going to end up, you know, are we going to go back down to Israel? We don't know where the future is going to hold, and we can relate to that because none of us know where the future is going to hold in our lives as well. And then for 10 years, there's no babies. Two ladies were married to these two guys, and there's no babies. Many of us have felt that pain as well. And so we're tracking with them in regards to that pain. And then we, two other people died. Chilion and Malon ended up dying. Now it's, it's Naomi and his two daughter-in-laws. They got to make a decision. And you can feel the pain. You can feel the pressure. I got to make this decision. And what do I do? Naomi makes a decision to go back down to Israel. And Ruth goes down with her. And Orpah goes back. And then they walk into town. And when they walk into town, what do the, the ladies and everybody, the whole town say when Naomi comes? They say, welcome back, Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Marah. For I left full, and God has brought me back empty. For God's hand has come about me. And all of a sudden, all of us are reading this story, and it's like, oh, I so relate. I relate with those emotions. How many times have I spoken like that to God? How many times have my prayers looked like that? God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand God, I hurt so much, and I have no understanding of what is being accomplished. And, and this Naomi is just crying out, where is God in all this? And you look at the story of Ruth, and, and you start to ask the same question. You know, where is God? I mean, is God doing something? Is God going to, I mean, he could have done some miracles. He could have raised Elimelech from the dead. I mean, he could have easily done that. He could have done something with Chilion and Malon. He could, have, he could have put his divine intervention in there, but God doesn't. He just pulls back and these ladies are trying to now survive in life. Chapter two talks about the survival in life where Ruth goes out into the fields. And as she's going out in the fields to reap a harvest, she was gleaning from the harvest to get the scraps from the reapers. And as she's doing that, she's recognized by this guy named Boaz. And as Boaz sees her and recognizes her and shows interest in her, she responds to him and says, why do you show so much interest in me. And then he just makes a comment of what she did for Naomi. So you just have a love relationship start brewing and all of a sudden our, 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 our minds start to spark. It's like, oh, you got two falling in love. You know, it's like, wow, we can relate. We understand their emotions. We understand their feelings. Then Ruth goes back to Naomi and Naomi asks how her day was and she says, I met this guy named Boaz and he had an interest in me and he was amazing to me. And what does Naomi say? You know, Here's a, a daughter-in-law and a, a, a mother-in-law relationship, you know, just talking. What do they say? 
Oh, he's a kinsman redeemer. What you should do is you should go ask him to bring redemption to you. And when you start to read that, it does gravitate us because you see Ruth's pain, you see her situation, and she needs to get out, and we get all excited because you can see on the pages that there's a man that can pull her out. His name is Boaz. We're like, oh yeah, we can relate this, and we can even put ourselves into the story. It's gonna, it's gonna work. And Ruth was so desperate, Naomi was so desperate, that when she said, go to the threshing floor and ask him for everything, we go to the threshing floor with Ruth. We practically sit at Boaz's feet and we're captivated inside the story and we listen to Ruth say, practically, marry me, redeem me, rescue me. And every single one of us is wanting redemption from where we're going through, where we're at. And, and uh, we're seeing this in the story. And as we're seeing this in the story, we're like, yes, please say yes. And do, what does he say? He says, I will give you, I'll give you everything. And then our emotions, the story is like, oh, She's going to be saved. It's a good story, strong story. And then in the middle of chapter 3, we hear Boaz say a line. He says, I'll give you everything, but there's one person in front of me who is a kinsman redeemer that gets the first opportunity if he wants you. Like, well, what's that about? That means chapter 4 is going to open up with a little bit of politics. And why, why is it there? Why is it part of the story? Why, is, why did God make them go through that? The reason why God made him go through that, because then you see Boaz do what? Start fighting for Ruth. This is not a business transaction. I'm not, I'm not trying to just help you out. I'm trying to save you. And he is fighting for her. And when you fight for somebody, it's because you love somebody. You have their best interest in mind. And we see that story takes place and we get captivated by that if somebody would fight for me if somebody would care for me if somebody would love me if somebody would rescue me in what i'm going through right now just be nice if i could just have a strong friendship that would um, allow me to remove myself through the situation that i was was in and then at the end they get married which leads us to our last passage that we'll be working with in the book which would be ruth four. 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When you look at this, so Boaz took, what does the word took mean? It means enter into a home. It's another way of saying got married. Boaz entered into the home with Ruth. In other words, Boaz married Ruth. Then the other half of that says, and she became his wife. And what does that mean? That means they got married. So if you read it in English, it's, so Boaz got married to Ruth, and so she became his wife. It's kind of a, a, a parallel passage that just makes a double statement, but why would the author make a double statement? He got married, and he got married. He got married, and then the wife. Why is he making that statement? Remember who wrote this book? We're guessing that it's Samuel, but we do know it's somebody in the future that is looking back and when they're looking back, they're telling the story. And almost every word that is in here, it seems like the narrator is just, you know what he's happy about. He can't wait to get to the end to show you what's going to happen with, um, with all the success that's going to happen with a baby that's going to go into the line of David and it's going to go into the line of Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And so every single word that he's putting in there is, is detailed word. Is, so Boaz married Ruth and Boaz married Ruth, she became his 
wife. Why would he say that twice? The reason why he says it twice is because he wants to tell you Ruth's status. You know, this is who Ruth is now. I mean, look back through the book. Who was Ruth at the beginning of the book? Ruth was the Moabite. I mean, that's, you know, that's all she was. It's not really a good name to have. I mean, you know, Israel, Moab, you know, they had, they had conflicts. They go back into Genesis, there's a little drama, and it's a, you don't walk around and say, hey, I'm a Moabite, so it's not really a good name to have. But in chapter 2, verse 11, Ruth is called a foreigner. She's not called a Moabite, she's called a foreigner. What's a foreigner? What's well, a step up from being a Moabite? Because it's not saying you're from Moab, you know, the gutter. You're actually a foreigner. It means you could be, you don't belong here, but you could be somewhere else. So she's actually moved up in status when she's a foreigner. And then if you look to continually through the book, Ruth refers to herself as less than the workers when she's talking to Boaz. I'm less than your employers, is what she says. And so she's even putting a stigma on top of her name of who she is. And then when she went to the threshing floor, she said, I am your servant. So if you look on her status, she starts out being a Moabite. (laughs) You don't want to be a Moabite. You're a foreigner. You don't want to be a foreigner, but you're a step up from being a a Moabite because that's just telling you right down to the bottom. Um, But then all of a sudden, I'm less than the ladies. Okay, all of a sudden, moving up to another status, I'm your servant, Boaz. And the author right now wants to say, she's now Boaz's wife. See, now your status has changed. You were this, but you're now his wife. That's why the author repeats himself. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. That's just the second half of verse 13. So if you look at verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. That's a nine-month verse. It's over nine months long. I mean, we've talked about a whole chapter and a half was, was less than 24 hours. Well, that one verse right there is nine months. The author is just making this, this awesome proclamation. What's the awesome proclamation? Let's just break it down a little bit. And the Lord is what she said. This is what the author said. And the Lord. Now, wait a second. I said this was a practical story. We didn't see the Lord's interaction. We didn't see the Lord's intervention. Is there intervention in this story from the Lord? Well, they're here. It says the Lord. That means the Lord is going to do something. Did you know there's another intervention in the story as well? We find it in chapter 1, verse 6. It said, the Lord has visited his people and given them food. So there we have a, a proclamation of the Lord intervening. But those are the only two in this entire story. The Lord gave them food, and then the Lord gave them conception. So you look at this entire book, and the two great needs is fertility and food throughout this book. And God just says, I provided. Just to give us a taste throughout the story of what God is doing and what God is accomplishing. So the Lord is the one that did what? Gave her conception. The Lord gave her conception. Remember who Ruth is. She's been married for 10 years. Remember that? She's married to Malon for 10 years in Moab. And her or Orpah were not getting pregnant. And you always try consistently back in these days. And you need children. That's your retirement. That's your income. That's your status. That's everything. For 10 years, they were barren. And then you have a verse that lasted, what, nine months. 
as a result of the last nine months, she got married, she became a wife, the Lord gave her conception, and then she bore a son. And when you're looking at this, where do you think the readers back in the ancient days went to? When they hear these words, the Lord gave her conception, there's no way you could read that and not go back to Sarah and Abraham. Because Sarah, Abraham's wife, is what? Barren. And she's old. And she laughs at God and says, I'm not going to have no baby. But then you look at divine intervention. The Lord gave her conception. And then you see Sarah getting, having a baby. And then Genesis chapter 25, you see Rebecca. What was the deal with Rebecca? She was barren too. But then you see the concept of the Lord supernaturally intervening and she has a baby. You see it with Leah. She's barren as well. But then you see the Lord supernaturally intervening and she has a baby. You see it with Rachel in Genesis chapter 30. You see it all the way through the bloodline of Christ. You're seeing one thing take place and that is ladies were having a difficult time getting pregnant. And then divine intervention takes place. And as divine intervention takes place, we see the bloodline continue to go towards the Messiah. It's interesting that it gets into even graphic detail. And Boaz went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. I mean, why do you have to get such graphic detail? The reason why it gets graphic detail is because this is pointing to a baby that is born where no man went into somebody. Pointing to, to Jesus Christ. Again, where you have a virgin birth. God is working through history. And things are being taken care of through history. But there's something completely radical happened 2,000 years ago. That's where Mary never had intercourse with anybody. But yet she had a baby. What does that mean? That means that the baby is, is God. If the baby is God and God comes to this earth and that God is then limited in human form, as God is limited in human form, connected to time, connected to energy in human form, and walks through life, he's connected to poverty as we read his story, and then all of a sudden lives a perfect life but then moves to a cross. If he's human being, then God is connected to death, feeling all the pain that you would feel, God feeling all the pain that you would feel on the cross, To the point where he dies, they put him into the grave, expecting that he is completely gone and never return again. Three days later, he raises again. So we have Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel. Now we have Ruth. God gave them conception through a man, but God was still intervening through it. And then you have Jesus. No man had conception. It was all God. God wants us to look at this story of Ruth and look at this story in Genesis and and say, oh my goodness, God is just weaving everything through details, making things work when you don't think that things are working. His hand is working all the way through the story. Remember when I first started, this is just a practical story. Or is it just a practical story? It's a practical story we can relate, but behind it, God is working behind the scenes. Can't believe There's so much that's being done. And she bore a son. Verse 14. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Looking at that first line, then then the woman said to Naomi. The woman said to Naomi is a plural. You know, this is mentioned as singular, but it's a, it's a plural. The women said to Naomi. Well, who are these women? You know, these women are mentioned before in the passage. In fact, if you go back to um, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, which has started 19, it says, And the women said, Is this Naomi? Naomi said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Marah, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Who started that conversation? Remember she walked into town? And she's walking into town. The whole town's there greeting her. But the women said, oh, welcome home, Naomi. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. I have nothing. Haven't you seen my life? God has taken it all away from me. Haven't you seen what's going on? God is testifying against me. The women that brought Naomi's heart to the surface. Remember when we were talking about that story? Is Was she really empty-handed? She wasn't empty-handed. She had Ruth that was standing next to her. And now we're at the end of the story, and you get the words. Then the women said to Naomi, he, they bring that piece up. And what does the women say when it talks to Naomi? It says, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Naomi, you said you had nothing, but you have everything. When you thought you had nothing, you had everything. When you expected God wasn't working, he was completely and entirely working. When you didn't see God, it does not mean that he was not there. You're not without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. What does that mean? (laughs) that means the name of the son that you have now is going to be a lot more powerful than any son you would have ever had in Moab. This name is going to be renowned in Israel, connected to the Savior of the world. Your Ruth's commitment, God has seen and God has brought his spirit inside of it to change the world and bring redemption to his people. He shall be to you a restorer of life, not only to you, Naomi, but to everybody. And a nourisher of your old age, not only to you, Naomi, but a nourisher to everybody. And then it says this, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. All of a sudden she gives credit to Ruth. You see that? Your daughter-in-law, worth more than seven sons. Seven is the, the number of perfection. Your daughter-in-law, who is worth so much, that's where this baby came from. What do you mean that's where this baby come from? She's, she's, she's a golden to you. She's everything to you. Why would she be everything to Naomi? The reason why is because her commitment was blessed. God blesses commitment. God saw Ruth's commitment. And as a result, she's worth more than seven sons because anybody who is committed carries more strength and more weight than somebody who has seven people that are not committed. Ruth is here getting the credit from these ladies. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Who named the baby? Did Ruth name the baby? Did Boaz name the baby? Not according to chapter, uh, verse 17. It says, The women of the neighborhood gave him a name. They're the ones that... He, they're the ones that are looking at the surface of when Naomi walks in and saw the heart of Naomi. There's a message being given here. These ladies are seeing the surface of what God is doing with Naomi, and Naomi is crying it out that God is horrible because he's not paying any attention to it. And at the end of the, the book, the author, the narrator, brings these ladies back into play and say, these ladies are watching the whole story unfold in the hand of God being moved, and they're the, even the ones that are going to give them the name. And what do they name them? They name them Obed, which is short for Obadiah, which means servant of Yahweh. There's a lot that's going on here. And then, of course, the author who's writing the book, it's a true story, but as he's writing this book, you can tell that he's trying to get these major points across for us to get this message in the book. He just gives us the genealogy, just kind of rub it in a little bit to say, this is what the entire story is about. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathers Aminadab, and Aminadab fathers Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And then Matthew one one the record of the genealogy of the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When we look at this story, yeah, the whole thing is is practical. The whole thing's practical. And when you see that it's practical, it means you really don't see God in it. It means you you really don't see a Red Sea part means you really don't see water turn into blood. means that you really don't see a firing chariot move up to heaven because it's, you know, it's, that's what practical means. But this is the redemption story of the world. And as this is the redemption story of the world, what do you see? You see the activity of God working through practicality. You see God completely working underneath the scenes of everything that is being done. And in the end, what does he do in the story of Ruth? He gives a baby. Gives a baby. What's more practical than, than, than giving a baby? I mean, this is as human as you could possibly understand. It's a redemption story. The whole Bible is about what? It's about a baby. That's what the whole Bible is about. It's about this baby being God. Why is that so important? The reason why it's so important is because we understand the practicality of that. And as we understand the practicality of it, and we believe in the God that was sent, who died, who rose, what takes place? We're changed from the inside out. Remember where this book is located? It's located in the book of Judges. 300 years God is sending these judges to be redeemers of the world. And he's doing it with powerful people, with powerful men. Samson was huge. He's doing it with massive armies being destroyed by little armies. He's doing it with his hand that carries power. 
But it doesn't, it didn't work. It wasn't working then. You see the power of God, but it wasn't working. But when you see God himself come to earth, there's a reason why he did that. Because he did it to captivate the heart of the person. He made it practical. Did it to captivate the heart of the person. If you want to change the world, what do you do? Change a mass of hearts that are around. And that's what he did. A baby was born. A baby lived a perfect life. His baby is God. A baby lived a perfect life. The baby went to the cross, died for your sins. The baby rose again three days later. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What happens if everybody believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and everybody was saved? The world would be a different place. And redemption to the world would be complete with a master. God works behind the scenes when we don't think that he is working. And God works in such a way that we can understand him because he works through Jesus Christ, which is a human being. I just wanna look at a couple notes and just look at the story of Ruth and just kind of give a general perspective of what's taking place. Number one, to Ruth, a childless widow, God provided a husband and a son. When you read the story, we're like, Ruth has no hope. She's moving from Moab to Israel, and is she going to find somebody? Is somebody going to fall in love with her? Absolutely not. Why would somebody fall in love with a Moabite? You read the story, and there's no hope, but with God, what's he doing? He's providing a redeemer underneath the surface, and she ends up at the end of the book with a husband and a son. It's almost like God's smiling in your faces. I have it all taken care of when you think you don't know what in the world is going on. Just relax, I got it covered. That's what the book of Ruth is about. Relax, I got it covered. You might be looking, I can't see how you have anything covered, God. Life is out of control. Book of Ruth is saying, just relax. I know the end of the story. You'll be taken care of. Number two, to Naomi, a bittered widow whose family line was close to extinction, God provided her an heir. Now there's a little bit of hope for Ruth. I mean, she could possibly have a baby, she was married for 10 years and didn't have a baby, but she could still possibly have a baby. She could still possibly get married. She was still young. There's still prospects out there, but there's no hope for Naomi. No hope for Naomi. The situation is very dim for Naomi. But we get to the end of the story, and God's taking care of her too. Provides her with an heir. I mean, if he's gonna provide her with an heir, somebody's gonna have to love her so much to give her a baby. They are just gonna have to love her so much to do it. Somebody did. God worked through the fibers and then it was handed to her. She now has an heir. Number three, to a nation close to extinction, God provided a king. In our lives we think, you know, uh, what is God doing? What God is doing is so much more than you can ever imagine. That's what God's doing. What God is doing is so much more than you can ever imagine. I read somewhere that God always answers your prayers. And you think, well, what do you mean? No, he doesn't always answer my prayers. I believe he does. I believe he always answers your prayers. He might not answer what you're requesting, because that's just a request. But you're going into his presence, and when you're going into his presence, and you are praying to them, 
There is stuff going on that you could not imagine. There's stuff going on in the heavenlies that you cannot imagine. God is always in tune with you when you pray. So as we're looking around, we're saying, God is not present, God is not in this, God is nowhere in sight, I don't know what is going on. God has something even bigger than you can possibly imagine that is going on. And a nation that's going towards extinction, and God provides a king. Did Ruth know that, that this was gonna take place? I don't think Ruth knew it. I don't think Ruth had any idea. And the reason why I say I don't think Ruth had any idea is, of course, somebody wrote this story. Ruth is just thinking, these are all my, you know, difficulties in life. You know, this is what's taking place. It's not easy. It's a rough world out there. That's what her life is saying. But when the author, the narrator, is putting the story together, he's just consistently going, I just can't believe Ruth. I can't believe Naomi. I can't believe Boaz. It's so beautiful as he's pinning it together. And it points to Jesus. And, and 3,000 years later, we're reading the story and we're loving the story. But does Ruth know that we're reading the story? <laughs> She probably does now because she's in heaven. I don't think she ever did then. She just wanted to be a faithful person. And as a result of that faithfulness, what takes place? God is working through the fibers of everything that is happening. And what? Changes the government. (laughs) Changes the government. What do I mean by changing the government? In two weeks I said that we're going to start 1 Samuel. Uh, We'll start 1 Samuel as we're walking towards finding a king who is after God's own heart which is King David, we will see how a person very practically communicates to God and how God communicates to them. We'll, through the story of King David, we'll open up the book of Psalms and just get an understanding of a, what a man looks like who is after God's own heart. And then we get to read it 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago after it was written. God's always doing something. Number four, to a people who deserve extinction, God provided a savior. Ruth definitely didn't know that was coming. But God is using the faithful that has taken place in the book of Ruth to do something to the world. Now in our story, is God gonna provide a savior after our actions and after our faithfulness? Absolutely not. The savior has already come. But does that mean that God's not doing nothing through our lives when we don't see him work? He always has his hands working. He always has his fingers working in our lives. Our commitment and God's faithfulness is what the book is about, of Ruth is about. So we could read the story of Ruth and say, I've got to be committed because God is faithful no matter what's taking place in front of me. Number five, in a messed up world, the book of Ruth provides us with hope. Whatever you hope for changes your life. Whatever you hope for drives your decisions. Whatever you hope for is what determines on how you behave now. Whatever you hope for is your king. Whatever you hope for is your ruler. Whatever you hope for is your commander in chief. We go to work every single week and when we go to work every single week, we are gonna receive a paycheck at the end. You know, we we hope for it. Now, we don't ever really say those words because we live in America. And uh, you're going to get it. You did it, you're going to get a paycheck. But what about those in Africa? You know, I know people in Africa, you, you can work and not get a paycheck. Maybe some people in America work and not get a paycheck either in some regards. But you do it because you hope for this, and that's why you do this. The word hope is not I have 
a desire that it might possibly happen. The word hope is it will happen and I believe it. And as a result, I'm controlled by it. That's what the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is, where the book of Ruth points. This has happened for you. Take it, believe it, and hang on to its hope. When it doesn't look like God is doing anything in your life, God is doing everything in your life. You just don't see it all the time. But there will be a day at the end, you will see it all, and you will say, thank you so much, God, for putting me through everything I went through because I, what I was going through made, it, made me closer to you, made a larger blessing. I would not have the blessings if I did not go through what I went through. God is always at work. Carry that hope. God, we just thank you that you're understandable. We can understand, God, who you are as a result of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth and, and uh, dying for our sins and raising again. God, we speak human being, and when we see Jesus, we see human being. But also we see you, God. We see your character, we see your love, we see your commitment to us, we see your majesty, we see your glory, we see your focus, we see everything about you, God, when we look at Jesus. Thank you that the story is, of, of Jesus is, is practical, can be understood, and thank you that it is life-saving. It is the source, God, that gives us eternal life. What a gift that is. Thank you for the story of Ruth, God, who points to the story of Jesus. Again, another practical story where we just put ourselves inside the story, and it moves us emotionally. And as a result of being moved emotionally, we're just learning more about you and what the salvation message means to us. Thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. In Christ's name, amen.